Well, good morning, church. I'm Scott Weatherford. I'm so glad you're here. With all this rain this morning, I didn't know what we were going to find. It kind of reminds me of the guy that woke up one Sunday morning and says, listen, told his wife, I ain't going to church today. I am not going to church today. His wife said, well, honey, why not? She says, he says, I don't like those people. Those people don't like me. I ain't going up there. And she says, well, well baby, you, you need to go. He says, you tell me one reason I ought to go. He said, well, you're the pastor. Now, I don't feel that way, but, but the rain, you know, you just kind of like, ah. Uh. But, you know, I think God's got something special for us today as we continue our series on signs, looking at the book of John as John was pointing to Jesus and his deity and saying, this is who you need to follow. This is who you listen to. This is who you need to become. Before I get into this, I want to thank our musicians this morning. Wow. Wasn't that incredible? Yeah. Jensen, it's good to have you back. And you've got a new addition to your family, don't you? Got a little baby over there? Got another little rock and roller. You're rocking and, and a boy or a girl? A little girl. Well, we'll pray for you. That's good. All right. <laughs> my mother, y'all heard a lot about my mother. Her name was Jane Butler Causey. Her uh, mother's maiden name was Butler. She hated that name. She said, I don't know why in the world they named me Butler. Well, I said, Mama's because y'all supposed to wait on us. And she <laughs> didn't go over very well. But my mother loved rocks. We loved rocks. Now, she grew up in southwest Mississippi where there wasn't a lot of rocks. So I think she was amazed by rocks. And when she would travel someplace that had rocks, she would collect rocks. Now, I grew up in Florida. There ain't no rocks in Florida, y'all. If it's rocks, it's just dirt clods. That's all it is. But she loved rocks. In fact, this rock is from Costa Rica, from the beach in Costa Rica. And, and so she would say, now, wherever you, I went in the world, I had to collect a rock. So I brought her back rocks from Central Asia and from Africa and from wherever. I was a rock smuggler back in the day. In fact, I think my mother's love of rocks kind of influenced me because I love rocks too. In fact, I love rocks so much when I was at Florida State, I was going to major in geology and in music and become a rock singer. <laughs> yes, you're welcome. That was terrible. My brother Stan and David, my two brothers Stan and David, we built my mother a rock garden. I was about 15. My mother was uh, recovering from back surgery, so we wanted to give her a gift, and we built her a rock garden. And in fact, the best I remember, that was the last physical altercation Stan and I had. I was about 15. He was about, well, he was four years older, about 18. And I think he decided at that point fighting with me was no longer profitable. And we ended our physical feud. Now we just have an intellectual feud going. You could remind him that his little brother whooped him at 15. If you'll just, next time he's here, just remind that he will not recall it because he does not believe the truth. But anyway, that's the truth. Rocks, very important throughout Scripture. You, you, you read a lot of Scripture about rocks. In fact, I did a word search on rocks this week, and it, they're all over the place. In, in Proverbs, in Psalm, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and it has a lot of mixed metaphors. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about rocks. Listen to what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, a, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and floodwaters rise, seems appropriate for today, and winds beat against the house, they, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It's built on bedrock. That's Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Jesus also said this, Now I say to you that you're Peter, which means small stone. That's what it means in Greek, small stone. But upon this rock, Jesus used a different word for rock, 
which is, means foundation stone. Now remember this, Jesus was a builder. He wasn't just a carpenter. When people use the word Jesus is a carpenter, it was dismissive. It was dismissive. It's like Hans saying, yeah, Beethoven wrote a few songs. Dismissive. Jesus was a tecton. He was a builder. And Jesus built in the Herodian style of architecture. Herod, the great builder, he used large stones and small stones. He would lay large stones and surround it with small stones. Large stone, small stone, large stone. In fact, you, when you study architecture, you look and say, that's Herodian because it's large stone and small stone. You go to Israel, that's what you see. Jesus said, upon this rock, saying the word for large stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hmm. Do you know why we call ourselves, I almost fell off. Do you know why we call ourselves a building lives church? Because Jesus built people and we build people. Jesus is a tecton. He's busy building a temple for himself out of the rough rubble of my soul. Rocks have a lot of meaning to him. Now, I get to talk to my Catholic friends, and I have a lot of Catholic friends, and I'll say, you know, Peter really wasn't the first pope. Jesus is the head of the church, and we choose to disagree, and I still love them, even though they're wrong. And you know what? They love me, even though they think I'm wrong. Y'all got folks like that in your life? Yeah, you're usually married into them. Okay, anyway. But that's the truth, that Jesus is the rock of the church, and he talks about building on that rock. And how is our life built? And rocks are very important Throughout scripture, I could go on and on, but I'm not. You could look up rocks for yourself. But also, rocks have another meaning in scripture it's the rock of judgment. Rocks were used for an execution style called stoning. Y'all heard of stoning, right? In fact, stoning is not what you think of in what our modern vernacular we think they line you up and they throw rocks at you till you're dead. Well, I know some baseball teams that I wouldn't mind being stoned by because they couldn't hit a, you know, Hit me with hit, hit me and, and as large a target as I am, but uh, that's really not what stoning was. Stoning was you push someone off a pinnacle, a place, a high place, and if the fall didn't kill them, they would throw rocks on top of you. That was a brutal form of execution, and rocks were used in that case where people would be thrown down upon, usually large stones and not small ones like this one. It's really kind of amazing when someone was being judged. People would gather rocks. They wanted to be ready. They wanted to be ready. I did that for my wife. She fussed at me earlier. They wanted to be ready. And I wonder how many of us, when it comes to the church, we like to gather rocks. The first martyr in the Bible was Stephen. He argued theology and he got him stoned. I could understand how it might be a, a taste, but today I want to talk about an almost stoning where Jesus intervened and stepped in and taught us a great lesson. Now, theologians say, and I'm probably true, that John chapter 8, 1 through 11 is not a part of the original manuscripts of John. This is later added. There's a few other places in the New Testament that scholar says this was added. Was it added because it wasn't real? Or was it added because it was left out? I don't know, but in most of our Bibles, we have it in there with that footnote. And so I analyze it this way. This shows the character of Christ. And if this shows the character of Christ, that it carries the validity of authenticity that we need to look at. Now, it's not one of the signs that point to deity, 
because I covered one of those signs in our group material, which is found online, fbcwimberly.com. I talk about walking on the water. You can go and listen to that. That was last week's uh, small group lesson. This week is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I want you to go listen to that one because I talk about why Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. I think you'll find it to be interesting. But this sits at a place where we've got to look at it because Jesus is the forgiver. If you're broken, he's the mender. If you're hurting, he's the healer. If you're anxious, he's the peace giver. If you're judged and marginalized, he's the liberator. You see, Jesus wants to set you free. And we're going to look at his word today, and we're going to find freedom. Y'all ready? Father, thank you for what you're going to say. And I pray that you speak through me this morning. That it not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth, Lord, that leads us to all understanding. And I pray that you will speak through me. Lord, there is no way I can repeat what happened earlier. I don't want to. Lord, I want you to speak fresh to these people in a way they need to hear it. So take me, the broken, the maligned, the confused, the ignorant, the miseducated, and somehow use me to bring your words of life and peace to these people that you love and I love as well. And I thank you for what you're going to say and do. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, go ahead and take out your notes. You might want to jot some things down. One of the things I want to say to you that this church is about, we're about God's peace. And the P in this acronym, P-E-A-C-E, P, the first P stands for planting churches, partnering churches, and promoting reconciliation between denominations. Ain't that good? Ain't that good? So this is what we're about. So when I make a joke about Catholicism, I love those guys. I'm promoting reconciliation. I like to pick on the Methodist because my grandmother was a Methodist and she always picked on the Baptist. And I love to pick on Baptists. Don't y'all? Somebody said to me, I can't believe you're a Baptist preacher. Most people don't believe I'm a Baptist preacher. And I want to say this to you, okay? The denomination labels we wear, when you go up, they fall off. When you go down, they burn off. They don't matter, right? And we are biblicists here. We're biblicists. We hold in God's word first and foremost. So I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. You can turn your Bible there, follow on the screen, whichever. And we're going to look at this act of forgiveness that Jesus lived out. And before I get in, I want to say this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Jesus knew what it was like to feel condemned. Jesus knew what it was like to feel condemned. Let me read for you. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathering, and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, look at me, y'all. Caught in the act. Some people believe that she was set up, that she probably was a sex worker that was set up. Now, sometimes we say things that are dismissive. We say, well, you know, prostitution is the oldest, the oldest business, uh, the oldest vocation. Do you know what? It's wrong then. It's wrong now. Less than 2% of women involved in the sex trade are there by their willingness. They're either manipulated or addicted and forced into slavery. Several years ago, Tara and I went to Cambodia to study human trafficking and solutions to human trafficking. 
We learned some things there, came back to Canada where we were pastoring, and we implemented some things that we could do in Calgary to help combat the problem with human trafficking and prostitution. God wants to set people free. While in Cambodia, this is some things we saw. Tara went to a section of Phnom Penh where women were selling themselves for 75 cents. That area was started by the United States building recreation places for soldiers during the Vietnam War. A group of men, the women went there, a group of men went to the karaoke bars in Phnom Penh. And it wasn't a place where you sang songs. It's a place where 12 to 15-year-old girls were paraded on stage dancing to music and then the men would select they want the one they wanted and for $75 they could have their way with them. That's wrong, y'all. And the daddy and me wanted to whoop everybody. And how will they know that there's freedom unless the gospel comes in? How will these young girls know that they're not condemned, but they're loved without King Jesus being front and center. I love what Max Licato says about this woman. She probably was naked or partially clothed because she was in the act of adultery. And they drug her before the crowd, and here she was, exposed physically and exposed in her shameful sin, and there she was, more than likely set up. Where was the dude? probably hitching up his britches on the back row. Probably one of the very ones who cohorted with the other ones to catch this woman in order to, cha- to, 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 to trick Jesus and to trap Jesus. But nonetheless, here she was. Teacher, they said to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. Well, what do you say? You go go against Moses, Bubba. He's the one that gave us the law. You got something else to say there, big boy? He says to Stoner, what do you say? Huh? <laughs> I love how Jesus is not intimidated. You see, Jesus was doing what Jesus, was, what Jesus did. Jesus was in the middle of people teaching them the gospel giving them the truth, showing them that there was a better way. What was he teaching that day? John doesn't say. In fact, John in his gospel said there's more written that Jesus did that could be ever contained in all the books of the world. And Jesus was teaching that day. You see, a holy man in every other religion, every other belief system is a man that lives in isolation. It's the one that that in Buddhism, you go up on a high hill or into a temple to hear. Hinduism, the same thing. Shintoism, the same thing. Uh, Islam, the same thing. But a holy man in Christianity is a man who's with the people. He's a man with the people. Why? Because holiness gives you good news, and you cannot wait to share good news. You ever got good news you couldn't wait to share? We're having a baby. I got a raise. Household. Cancer's gone. Good news. And you can't wait to share it. I got a God who can save you from your sins good news. I got a God who says you're not condemned to hell, but you can live with him forever in heaven. Good news. 
So as a man who's trying to be holy like Christ is holy, I get to go into my cave of isolation where I study. I get to come share good news with y'all that he is mighty to save. I'm a child of God. And you can be too if you aren't ready. Good news, isn't it right? And it changes us. And Jesus was out being a holy man, doing what Jesus does and giving people hope like Jesus gives hope. And Jesus faced this woman. She came into the crowd. Now listen to this. This is awesome. Jesus can relate to you. It says in Hebrews, we have a high priest who knows what it's like to go through what we're going through. He was tempted in every way, it says, every way. Are you saying to me that Jesus was tempted sexually? Yeah. What? Yeah. Being tempted is not sinful. Did you know that? Martin Luther, the great reformer, he talked about this, about temptation. He said, I cannot keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from making a nest in my hair. It's what we do with the temptation that changes our heart. Jesus could relate to this woman because Jesus knew the sting of condemnation. Why? Because all of his life, he was looked at by the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the people in this town and the people of his area as the illegitimate son of Mary. There's a word we use in Texas for that, but I'm not going to use it. You know what it is. They said, Jesus is that illegitimate boy. How could he be God? His mama wasn't even married. Daddy covered it up. Lord knows what they were doing. Well, the Lord does know. But we don't know what the Lord was doing. We know, looking back in history, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. They didn't know that. And Jesus faced condemnation all his life. So when this woman was brought to him, he could relate to her. Listen to me. He can relate to you. Even though he is high and mighty, he does not position himself in a high and mighty place. He positions himself with us. It's called the incarnation. You shall call his name Emmanuel, for God is with us. Wow. So when she was brought in front of Jesus, Jesus related to her. This one was caught in the act. Why her? Convenience. It was a game of blame that these Pharisees and these evil people wanted to do this. You see, the religious types were into external things like the law of Moses, making sure everything looked right on the outside, but the hearts were far away from God. Can you, can you relate to that? I talked about this in the earlier gathering. I talked about to you now. Uh, Tara and I have been listening to a lot of podcasts lately about generations about generation, uh, the great generation, gener the traditionalists, the baby boomer, the Gen Xers, the, the, Gen, the millennials, and the Gen Y. Do y'all ever hear all that stuff? And those of you that are in the millennials, you're going, I don't want to be called a millennial. I don't want to be called a boomer because that sounds too much like Oklahoma. That was supposed to be funny, but y'all didn't. <laughs> but in this generational study, and it's very interesting, the greatest generation was, the, that's the World War II generation. That's the ones, whatever it takes, let's get it done. If our nation needs freedom, let's go fight. Let's set aside our rights and privileges and our preferences and let's go get her done. Let's go. My dad was of that generation. I met a guy this week who was a World War II veteran. 
He had his hat on. He was 90-something. I walked up to him. I said, sir, I want to thank you for your service. My dad also was, is a World War II veteran. I said, what theater were you in? He said, I was in the Pacific. He said, I missed the European by two days. And I said, my daddy landed t- day two at Normandy. He goes, oh, he saw some bad stuff. I said, yeah, he did. He said, I saw some bad stuff too. But you know what? It was worth it. My mother was of the next generation, and that's called the traditionalist. And the traditionalists were all about maintaining your image. That it didn't matter what you were like on the inside. It mattered what you were like on the outside. Couple that with being Southern aristocracy. All about what people would think. She said this to me a lot. Scott, you better watch yourself. People are looking at you. And I said, I care less. Look all you want to. She says, now you know you're embarrassing Jesus. You're just embarrassing Jesus. Jesus will get over it. All about externals. The religious people of that day were all about externals. Wanting to appear right without being right. Not dealing with their own sin and their own brokenness. Then I got to thinking, why do people judge people? Why do we pick up our rocks to judge? And I made a little list. Let's see, let's see how accurate it is. We want to divert attention from ourselves to somebody else, right? We want to divert attention. Our daughter, Kayla, was the master of this when it came to her brother, Caleb. She'd get caught, and she said, but Daddy, what about Caleb? And she always had a good point. What about Caleb? I did this and this, but Caleb did this and this and this. In fact, she would do stuff and act like she was hurt to get Caleb in trouble. And she'll have to face that one day. Or maybe we justify our judging because they were justifying keeping their law. Maybe we want to keep an external righteousness afoot and keep our image afoot instead of really being what God wants us to be. Maybe we judge to inflate our own self-worth. To inflate our own self-worth. Well, I'm better than most people I know. Well, congratulations. You can compare yourself to me all the time. Well, I'm better than Pastor Scott. Low bar. And so it's that matter of, I want to be better than, or maybe it's this, maybe we judge to achieve some false authority. And so we judge. We use the rocks of condemnation. It's true this woman was guilty. And guilt, get this, guilt, you might want to write this down. Guilt leads to repentance. And repentance should lead to righteousness. Conviction should lead to recovery. Condemnation often leads to shame and to isolation. And Jesus didn't come to condemn you. What? He didn't come to condemn you. He came to free you. He came for you to drop your rocks. He came to say, hey, hey, hey. 
Listen to what he says. God sent his world, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, that's in Jesus, but anyone who does not believe in him and Jesus has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. Wait, Scott, are you telling me that Jesus says, I'm going to free you from being condemned? Yeah. When I was a kid growing up, I used to hear my pastor and other pastors preach this message. Maybe you've heard it. One day, if you're a Christian, you're going to die, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. When you stand before the judgment seat of God, he's going to play a big screen, going to show every one of your sins. He's going to say, what would you do about that, Bubba? You said you're a Christian? You acted like that? Lies. God cannot stand in the presence of sin. Why would he drug up your sin that's already been forgiven? When the Bible says he takes our sins and he removes them from the east as far as from the west, and he remembers them no more. Paul said it this way. So now there is no condemnation for those who are believing in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save you because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we, we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful natures, but instead follow the Spirit. What God did is he took my sin and my sorrow and called it his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and he suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And one day when I stand before God and he's going to look at me and he's going to see Jesus. He's not going to see all the brokenness and all the sin. He's going to see Jesus. He's going to look at me and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter to your rest. You see, what made you good was Jesus. What made you faithful was Jesus. And because you've been covered in righteousness of Christ, all I see is Jesus. Come on, welcome home. Welcome home. And the rock is gone. Because my home is on the rock. Wow. Just a sidebar. This woman was caught in sexual sin. All, sin is sin. Do y'all know that? Sin doesn't have any kind of measurement of sin, but it seems to me, in fact, Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, he said, sexual sin stains us deeper 
because it's a sin against the soul. God made us to be sexual beings, and and he, he blessed sex, and sex within marriage is a wonderful gift. Sex outside of marriage is a dangerous briar patch. Because this woman had sexual sin, and, and the Bible said stone her because you've got to remove her from it. And, and that's what the law of Moses said. But Jesus says, no, 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 I can cleanse you from this. And some of you are living with the, the shame of sexual sin that Jesus has already cleansed you from. And he wants you to be free from it. He doesn't want you to live under the bondage of what you once did. He wants you to live in the freedom of who he now is. And he wants to bring life to you. Wouldn't you like to be free? You see, Jesus disarms the rock throwers. He takes them away. They're trying to test him into saying, they're trying to, to try and trap him to saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the, in the dust with his finger. And boy, theologians have been trying to figure out what he's written forever. Some said he wrote the Ten Commandments down. Some said he, um, he uh, made a list of all the women the Pharisees were having adultery of, adulterous affairs with. <laughs> That'll sober you up. Oh, he knows about that. Huh. Guess I'm going to drop my rock and leave. And some says that, this is what Max Licato said, that he bent down in the dust to divert the glare off the woman who stood there half naked or naked to put the glare on him. Because listen, Satan wants to focus on you and Jesus goes, hey, 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 right here, right here. Focus on Jesus. And so he bent down in the dust and he wrote, he stood up again, he said, all right, I like it, it's Texan, all right? But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and he wrote in the dust some more. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. Rocks dropping. Oldest. Why the oldest? Because they had time to sin more. You see, Jesus will always take the glare off you and put it onto him. And being covered by Jesus, being cleansed by Jesus is so life-giving. Listen to this. John later said this in his epistle. If we claim we have no sin, <laughs> we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not, telling the, not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that, it, showing that his word has no place in our hearts. It's 1 John 1, 8 through 10. And what is that saying? That Jesus cleanses you when you receive him. And then he continues to cleanse you as you live in him. He's faithful and just to forgive you. When did he do that? He did that on the cross. And when you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus says, I have cleansed you. You are now clean. 
And then as we go through life and we continue to struggle in this, this body of flesh and with sin, he says, I'm continually cleaning you and bringing you into relationship with me. I'm bringing you closer to me. I'm cleaning your life. We did something for Christmas. I bought Tara a Roomba. Y'all know what a Roomba is? It's that automatic, you know, vacuum cleaner for your house. Ours' name is Fred. And Fred comes on three times a week and he vacuums our house. Now, sometimes Fred gets caught. He runs over something. If you leave your drawers on the floor, Fred's going to get caught in your drawers. <laughs> Maybe too much information, but that's just what's going to happen. Fred cleans the house. But get this. The Holy Spirit is God's Roomba in my heart. I've been cleansed by Christ, but sometimes I need to be vacuumed up. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's working in me. He's drawing me closer to him and revealing things to him. He's bringing about conviction that leads to repentance, and repentance leads to rejoicing. It doesn't lead to condemnation because there's therefore no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he's cleansing my heart. He's cleansing my life. How in the world can I throw a rock at you when I've been so forgiven? How in the world can I judge you when I've been declared righteous by the great almighty judge? Wow. I've been cleansed by him. What if we drop the rocks of judgment and use them to build a church of forgiveness? What about it still being known for being judgmental? We're known for being forgiven. What if the rocks that I was going to use to condemn you were the rocks God's going to use me to build his kingdom upon? Because my mess becomes my message, and my misery becomes my ministry. When the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, builds my life on the rock, builds his church on the rock. If we refuse to be, I'm going, and this is just me, y'all think about this, but I'm going to refuse to be identified by my sin, and I'm instead going to be identified by my Savior. You're an adulterer. No, I'm a, I've been saved. You're a fornicator. No, I've been saved. You're an alcoholic. No, I've been saved. You're a gossip. I've been saved. Because I have Jesus who's changed me. And my life is not identified by what I've done, but to whom I belong. What if we were known as the fellowship of the broken who have been forgiven and then have been stacked together ready to forgive? Maybe this would happen. Maybe women and children would be free from the sex trade because there was a church that was the hope of the world. Maybe the crisis at the border United States could be diverted because the church in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, 
Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, Panama, Colombia, Peru, Venezuela was strengthened to the spot, to the place where humanitarian suffering was gone and King Jesus was Lord. Why in the world are we bringing in all those pastors from Central America to Wimberley if it's not for the glory of King Jesus? What if we decide that it's wrong for children in Malawi, Africa to be hungry, so we feed them? And not only feed them, we make the local church the hero where the church is strengthened to where we no longer have to feed them. They feed themselves and feed all of Africa. There are times, y'all, that I feel like I'm so far in front of y'all, you can't even see me. And I need to come back from over the hill and go, hey, 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 I'm over here, I'm over here. Why can't we go together? Why can't we be that church? What's keeping us? Pastor, you're crazy. Okay, I am. Don't judge me. Put your rock down. You're crazy as I am. Could God use crazy for his glory? few times in history he's done this. These are nothing but ordinary men, but they have been with Jesus. It changes us when we drop the rocks. What if we really became the hope of the world instead of a gathering on the weekends? See, there's nothing more powerful than a church that is built on the rock of forgiveness. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Don't you? That's five over here. Don't, what about you guys? Yeah. You see, Jesus replaces our brokenness with his freedom. Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. Short little sentence found in Scripture no, Lord. And Jesus said, hey, I think this is what he did. We don't know the body language of the Bible, but he probably reached down and he grabbed her by the hand. He looked there, probably picked her face up. He said, hey, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Be free. It's not who you are. Be free. In that instant, she passed from death to life, literally. Literally. And that moment is available for you today. That you can pass from go and sin no more. From death to life. Today. Or you could be reminded that there's been a time in your life where the nail-scarred hands of Jesus has placed his hands around your face and said, you are my beloved. I love you. Go and sin no more. Don't be identified by your past. Be free to the future of living in Jesus. Do you want to be free? Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone 
who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. And if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. You're truly free. You're truly free. My mama loved rocks. So do I. Rocks matter in Scripture. They matter to us right now. Maybe God wants you to drop the rock of your judgment and share the good news of his grace to people. There's nothing better than Easter to do that. Maybe God wants you to drop the rock of your shame, your sexual sin, your sin against, your brokenness, and drop it and live in freedom. Maybe God wants to say to you, hey, build your life on me and be free. Because when we drop our rocks, God builds his church. And that's us.